You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. So I want to tell you a little bit more about the story of Cibolo Creek Community Church as we celebrate our 25th anniversary. But before I do, I want to draw your attention to this handout you should have received on the way in. This is all of the stuff that's happening around our church just in the month of December. There's stuff for adults, there's things for children, there's things for families, there's things for students. We'd love to have you be a part of as many of these things as you're available for and that you're interested in. These are great opportunities for you to invite friends, family, uh, classmates, uh, neighbors to come and visit our church. And to join you in visiting our church would be a great opportunity to share Civil Oak Creek with them. And who knows? Who knows how God might use that visit to start a story in their life and use you to lead them to a place of faith in Jesus Christ. So it was the, um, it was the summer of 1996 that Charlotte, my wife and I, and our almost one-year-old little baby boy moved here to Fair Oaks Ranch, Texas. Um, a handful of families had invited us to come down here and help them start a church and um, it was kind of a risky adventure. There was only a handful of them. They said they'd pay us a little bit, and I didn't really know any of them very well, and we were just sort of taking them at their word that they'd provide for us a, a salary of some kind and, and uh, move down here. We'd already seen God work in some really miraculous ways. He provided us a house to live in, a house that we would have never been able to live in at that point in our life. Um, it was interesting, one of the gentlemen who was helping to start the church with us, um, he was out golfing at Fair Oaks Ranch Country Club. He got paired up with a guy he'd never met before. They're golfing. This guy starts telling his story, and he starts mentioning that he's in the Air Force. He's a dentist, and he's just been stationed in Spain. And he and his wife don't know what to do with their house for three years because they want to move back to the area and so the gentleman who was helping to start Sibylla Creek, he said, well, I, I don't know if you'd be open to this, but we just invited a young man and his wife and their little baby to move down here and help us start a church. Would you be interested in maybe leasing your home to them? And this gentleman said, I'd, I'd love that. He said, my dad was a pastor. And so I sort of understand all of that. We'd love to. And he made this amazingly generous offer, and Charlotte and I moved into a house we would never been able to afford. It was this enormous house. We hardly had enough furniture to put in it. It was the first house that I ever lived in that had a study. <laughs> I had this little desk. I had a two-drawer file cabinet. I had a couple of books, and I had a Macintosh SE, one of the very first Apple computers, if you remember, and that's all I had in my office, the new church office. And I can remember the first Monday after we'd kind of gotten here and gotten settled in and, and um, I went into the office there and I sat down at my desk and I thought, okay, now start a church. <laughs> There's just one problem. I didn't have a clue about how to start a church. I seriously didn't. I'd never, I'd never taken a class in starting a church. I'd never read any books on starting a church. I don't think I even knew anybody who had started a church. It wasn't really in my career plans. I thought I'd go join some existing church and be a staff member, work for a couple years, and then maybe, you know, move up the ranks. And if the opportunity came to be a pastor at another church, I'd go there. But I, I'd, I'd never thought I'd start a church. And I can remember sitting there at that desk that morning thinking, 
what do I do? Like, I really had no clue. And I just started praying like, God, I've, I've never done this before. You're going to have to help me. And, and I had a thought. The thought was, go see the mayor. So I got on my phone and I called the Fair Oaks office there and I said, uh, yeah, I'm new to town, looking to start a church with uh, some residents of the Fair Oaks Ranch area. And I was wondering if I could just come and sit with the mayor, maybe get a little bit familiar with the area. Like, absolutely. So I went and I spent an hour with the mayor, uh, Boots Gobbitz, wonderful gentleman. He loved this community. And um, we sat and talked, and he was so friendly and warm and, and wanted to know all about me and what we were doing. And, and so I remember him asking the question. He, um, he said, uh, so what kind of church are you starting and I knew exactly what he was looking for. He was looking for Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran. And I said, well, sir, we're, we're going to start a church for people who don't like church. And I still remember the look on his face. It was that Texas kindness sort of thing. Like, God bless you, young man. He said, uh, it just read all over his face like, That'll never work around here. And I remember getting in the car after that meeting with him, thinking to myself, this is going to be harder than I thought. Because not only are we trying to start a church from scratch, we're trying to describe something that people really don't have a paradigm for. Because people know what Baptist is and what Methodist is and what Lutheran is and what Presbyterian is, but a church for the unchurched, nobody... Nobody knew. They really didn't. And I had already made the first mistake. And that was the mistake that I, I wasn't planning a church anywhere near a McDonald's. Did you know that's a thing? It is a thing. It's one of the rules. Never start a church that isn't near a McDonald's. Because McDonald's has done all the studies of demographics in the area and determined that if they're going to open a restaurant in the area, there's the families, particularly with young children, to support the restaurant. Do you know 25 years ago, the closest McDonald's was at Day Zavala and I-10? And it would be years before the McDonald's would show up here at Ralph Fair Road. So I was already in a world of hurt. Like, how in the world do you get a church off the ground? And then we just, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. But there's a thing that leaders do. It doesn't matter if you're starting a church or if you're running a company. There's this thing that leaders do, and it's called cast vision. Vision casting. You're always trying to tell the story of the preferred future, of what could be. And so I just spent the first several months that we got here just trying to tell the story and hopefully finding a few people who might resonate with the story that we were telling about a church for people who didn't like church, who had never been to church, who had walked away from the church, who didn't believe in God and weren't sure about Jesus and really never read their Bible. Could we start a church for people like that? That was, that was the dream. And so we just told the story. And we just invited people to consider being a part of it all. And little by little, that few handful of families that we had to start with started to grow, started to increase, started holding some studies there at the house that we were leasing. Jackson and Ann were part of that group would come to those, those studies in our home. 
We just started telling the story of Sybil Creek. And so this month, what we're doing is we're covering some of the passages that were so important to us in the early days of Sybil Creek. We just talked about these four passages all the time. And one of those passages was Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells the three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And there's a reason why he tells those three stories right in a row to the audience that he's talking to and that he's trying to help that audience of religious Pharisees to understand that the most important people in the the mind and the heart of God are people who are far from him. And that was important to us at Sybil Creek, that we were going to be a church that served people who were far from God. And so Sybil Creek is a close-knit family of Christ followers with the heart of Jesus for people who are far from God. That's always been a part of who we've been as a church for 25 years. Another passage of scripture that was really important to us and talked a lot about it in the early days was Acts chapter two, where we see the very first portrait of the church in Jerusalem. And we learned a little bit about what the church does and how it behaves and what we see is a tremendous amount of them spending their lives together, doing their lives with one another. And so part of our dream has been Sybil Creek is a close-knit family of Christ followers who spend time with each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We do our lives with each other. A third passage is John chapter 13 where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he teaches us that the heart of a Christian is to serve others, no matter what position in life we may have, no matter what status we may hold. A Christian is somebody who's humble enough, who always looks out for the needs of others and serves them. So Sybil Creek is a close-knit family of Christ followers who are committed to helping others like Jesus helped us. So today, as we conclude this series, I want to look at a fourth passage. Now, You guys paying attention? Okay, the fourth passage is not the one we're about to look at. Okay, this is just to set the table. But here's a passage of scripture that's always meant a lot to me, particularly in the last 25 years, because it's given me some hope on those days when I felt like this will never work. Jackson and I were talking back backstage before we came out here about there were there were plenty of weeks I thought this will never fly. We'll never make it. Particularly if you heard our early music in the early days. Christian karaoke, and I was thinking, no, we'll never make it. But here's a passage of Scripture that's always been encouraging me. In um, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, he writes, and and you can just... um, You can just feel the affection that he had for this church. He had started this church about 10 years earlier. And he's writing them a letter now 10 years later. And he says, I thank God every time I remember you. Like every time the... Philippian believers came to Paul's mind. He's like, thank God for those people. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Like there was a great relationship between him and them. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Like they were in it with him, trying to help people understand a relationship with Jesus. You've been a partner of mine in the gospel from the very first time that we ever met, all the way until now, these 10 years later, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that the God who began a good work in you, he's going to continue that work and he's gonna carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that line, he who began a work. And there were plenty of Monday mornings 
in those early days of Cibolo Creek that I just had to remember, you started a work here. Something's happening. I have to trust that you're gonna see it through. Here's some things about God when he writes stories. God only does great work. He who began a good work in you, God only does great work. He never makes mistakes. He never messes things up. He never gets so far down the story. He's think, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't have done that. No, he always writes great stories. He only does great work. The second thing is, God is always at work even when it seems like nothing is happening. Some of you in this room, some of you online, you need to hear that. Because you're feeling right now like God's not doing anything. And you need him to do something badly. And I'm telling you, God is always at work even when it seems like nothing's happening in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship with your teenager. At work, when it comes to your health concerns. God's always at work even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it. And the third thing is, God always finishes what he begins. Here's what some of you need to hear. Some of you who aren't Christ followers, you're coming to Civil Creek and you're kind of listening, you're kind of checking things out and you're trying to make sense of some stuff, but you're not ready to admit yourself to be a follower of Christ. Here's what I, I just need to tell you this. The fact that you're showing up here Sunday after Sunday means God's already started a work in your life. And he always finishes what he begins. So buckle your seatbelt, make sure your tray table's in the upright and locked position (laughs) and that your luggage is carefully stowed in the overhead bin because God has started a work in your life and you don't know what he's up to yet, but he always finishes what he starts. So in those early days, I hung to the promise that God had started something here and that he would see it to completion. I love this verse. Romans chapter eight, we know, this is the faith of a Christian. We know that in all things, it doesn't matter how messy, how chaotic, how absolutely um, frustrating it is. We know that in all things, here's the Christian's faith. We know all things, no matter what's happening, God works for good. In the lives of those who love him, to those who've been called according to his purpose, God always does What is good? Jesus said this to his disciples. Guys, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, that pretty much covers everything, has been given to me. The Father in heaven has given Jesus all authority, and here's what he said to his earliest disciples. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to multiply people who come to faith in Jesus. Go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, of all nations. Start with baptizing them, because the people that you're going to meet initially, they don't believe in Christ They don't trust me yet. So you're gonna have to start the spade work of developing relationship with them and building rapport and hopefully in time introducing them to the good news of the gospel and letting them understand that they can trust Jesus within their life. And then when they do, I want you to begin by baptizing them and then I want you to teach them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you. Start with people who are far from Christ, lead them to a point of faith, baptize them, and then begin teaching them what it looks like, what it feels like, what it is like to be followers of Jesus. And look at what Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
And I think that promise right there has very particular application. He's saying, I will be with you to the very end as long as you're occupied with making disciples, beginning with people who are lost and baptizing them and then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So in the earliest days of Civil Creek, when we were starting, we just said, hey, just stick with the basics. Let's tell people about Jesus. Let's build relationship and rapport with them that hopefully in time they'll come to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ and put their faith in Jesus, and then we'll baptize them, and then we'll start teaching them how to live their lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's just stick with the basics. We believe this, that when we lean into what God is doing, we'll never fail. As long as we keep doing the things that Christ said, I'll always be with you as long as you're baptizing and teaching people. Lean into what God is doing, we're never gonna fail. And secondly, when we obey what God instructs, we'll never go wrong. And those were some guiding principles in the early days of Civil Creek. As long as we just keep doing what Christ instructed us to do as his disciples, then we will continue prosper. But let me ask you a question. Every evangelical church in America, every church that is centered around Jesus Christ as the, the, the central point of the gospel, they're all busy making disciples. They're all busy baptizing people. They're all busy teaching people what Christ commanded. So let me ask you this question. Why are churches different? Why is every church in the world different from each other? Well, they're different because they all have different people. Their congregations are comprised of people who are unlike any other congregation in the same city. Everybody's different. Every church is different because their people are different, and every church is different because their pastor's different. Different pastors have different styles and different priorities and different passions. And so the church is different as a reflection of the people and the pastor that God's brought there. Every church is different because they have different passions. Those people that sit in the life of the, are, are part of the life of that church, they all have different passions. And so some churches, they are very committed to like reaching out and serving their community. And other churches, they're very passionate about reaching across the globe and church, uh, serving people around the world. And other churches are very passionate about prayer. It's a, it's a reflection of the passions of the people that are part of that church. Every church has a different perspective. And you know what else makes a church different? The places they are. A church in Fair Oaks, France is going to be different from a church in Chicago, Illinois. Just because of the nature of the region. And so churches are all different because of the people, the pastor, the places, the passions that are a part of that particular church. So guess what? Sibyl Creek is different. We're not trying to be every other church in town. We're trying, to, we're trying to discover the unique expression of like who God made us to be. And so there's this passage of scripture that has been at the roots of Sibyl Creek for 25 years. It's a passage of scripture that God used to call me to come here. You see, in the early part of 1996, this uh, handful of people that were wanting to start Sibyl Creek, they invited me and Charlotte to go with them to California to go to a church conference. 
study a little bit of like how churches work and how they thrive. We spent a week there in Southern California with these people attending this conference. And at the end of the week, we had dinner together and, and they said, um, we, we would really like you and Charlotte to come and help us start the church. And I said, well, we really appreciate the invitation, but we never make big decisions in our life unless we spend some time talking about it and praying about it. So could we have some time? And they said, absolutely. And I said, can you just give me two weeks? Let me think about this and let me pray about this. And that's all I thought about for two weeks. Is should we move from Madison, Wisconsin, where I was safe and secure in a very established church and come here and start something that didn't even exist with a one-year-old baby? And I can remember I was sitting in a staff meeting at that church in Madison, Wisconsin. You got to remember, this was 25 years ago. So we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. So when you were bored in a meeting, you had to act like you were doing something, right? And I'm sitting in this staff meeting, and I'm bored to tears. And so I flipped my Bible open. And there in the meeting, I, I was just reading my Bible because that looks really spiritual when the pastor, you know, is reading your Bible. <laughs> and I'm not lying. I, I just flipped open my Bible. And I started reading a passage of Scripture that I had read a hundred times in my life. I'd, I'd been learning it since I was a kid in Sunday school. But that day, that passage, it spoke to me. God used that passage to say, Paul, I want you to go to Fair Oaks Ranch, Texas, and I want you to do this. I was like, are you sure? Yeah. If you go and do that, I'll be with you in it. And so this passage has, has always held a very special place in my heart, and it's been the perspective through which I've looked at the last 25 years. This is the passage that I want you to see. You ready? Mark chapter 2 says this. A few days later, when Jesus had again entered Capernaum, he's there for a visit the people heard, the people in town heard that he had come home. And by this point in the life of Jesus, he had quite a reputation. He'd been doing miracles that people were talking about. And he, he was being distinguished as a rabbi that taught like no other rabbi in his day. And people wanted to hear him. So they, they had heard that he'd come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left in the house or the place where they were all meeting to hear Jesus talk. There wasn't even room even outside the door as he preached the word to them. So you, you get the setting? People have heard that Jesus is in town. They find out where he's staying. They all go there and they, they just fill up the house and they fill up around the house because they want to hear Jesus teach the Jewish scriptures and talk about life and faith because they'd never heard these things in the way that he described them. And then we read this, some men came. They, they showed up at the house, and they were bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man. Now, we don't know anything about this man, and we don't know anything about his relationship to these four men who were carrying him. We don't know if they were old friends, 
We don't know if they just passed him every day on the way to work because he was out in the streets begging for a living. We, we, don't, we don't know if his injuries that led to his paralysis were like recent. But these men came bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus, why? Because there were so many people in the way. Because they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was laying on. So they get there and they can't get anywhere near Jesus. And so they're looking around and they go, how are we going to get this guy to Jesus? Because they so believed in their heart that if we could introduce this paralyzed man to Jesus, he could change his life, he could heal him. And they look at the situation and someone gets this brainstorm. Well, well, we could go up on the roof and we could tear off the shingles and we could lower him down through a hole. I can almost imagine in my mind is this, this paralyzed man on his mats being lowered to Jesus. And then when Jesus saw what? I'm sorry? When he saw their faith. Whose faith? The faith of the four friends. It wasn't the paralyzed man's faith. When he saw those four faces up through that hole, lowering that man, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven, and as the story continues, you are healed. I love those four guys who cared enough to get involved, who cared enough to do something. They didn't even know how to do it, but they would try something, who cared enough and the belief that if they could just introduce this man to Jesus, he could change that guy's life. So at some point in that conversation, in that whole scenario, those four guys concluded, you know what? We're gonna have to take a different approach here. The traditional approach, the typical approach is that we gotta somehow get in the house. We gotta find our way through the crowd and we gotta get close enough for Jesus to heal him and they knew that that wasn't going to happen. That was impossible. We're going to have to think outside of the box. We're going to have to break a few rules here. We might have to go up on the roof and destroy this guy's house to get their friend to Jesus. And I love the courage. And I love the compassion. And I love the confidence that led them to go ahead with that plan so that they could get their friend to Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he healed their friend. So here's a question I have for us. I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at our faith. Like the faith of Sibylla Creek Community Church and the men and women who call it home. What does Jesus see when he looks at our faith? What's he learning about us and the way that we go about living our lives and the way that we go about leaning into the mission of our church? Second question is, are we willing to take a different approach? Are we willing to break a few rules about how people think that church should be done? Are we willing to do that because we're so concerned about our friends coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Are we willing to do some things differently?
Are we willing to break a few rules? Or, or, you guys ready? I'm sorry. Or if you want, we, we, we could just play it safe. We could, we could just go, hey, let's not make any waves. Let's, let's just stick with the program of what churches do. Let's just do what everybody else is doing. Hey, what's that church in town doing? Well, let's just do it that way because that seems to be working for them. You know, we, we just want to play it safe. Are we willing to be like those four guys and really to take some risk and do some things differently? Thomas Jefferson said, if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. In those early days when we were talking about a church for unchurched people, we realized we were going to have to do some things differently if we hoped to win an audience with people who didn't like church. So we decided to dig some holes in roofs in the faith that we could introduce people to Jesus, he could change their life. So when we talk about digging holes in roofs, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about, let's break a few rules. These traditional rules about like how church is supposed to be done. Let's consider maybe doing it differently. Let's take a different approach. Most churches have like their way and well, let's take a different way. Let's remove barriers that are in the way because for some people, there's so much of what churches traditionally do, they can't get past it. It doesn't work for them. It doesn't connect with them. It doesn't resonate with their soul. And so Sybil in the earliest days is to say, let's do it differently. And there were plenty of people telling us, no, you can't do that. You can't do that because that won't work. No, you shouldn't do that because people won't attend. Here's one of them. You ready? We said... What is it that keeps people from coming to church? We actually, we actually had research that was done in America about why people didn't attend church. You know what was in the top two? The first one was church is boring. Okay, so let's try to do that differently. Secondly, the church is always after your money. Most people don't go to church because they always feel like the church has a hand in their pockets. So we said, how could we do it differently? Well, let's not pass an offering plate. For 25 years, we've never passed an offering plate here at Sybil Creek Community Church. And we had plenty of people tell you can't do that. Like, how are you going to pay your staff? How are you going to put your lights on? And, and how are you going to run the air conditioning? And how are you going to pay for the copier? You can't do that. You have to pass an offering plate. We said, no, because it will keep some people that we want to see come to church, it will keep them from coming. We've never passed an offering plate. We chose contemporary music when everybody was saying, no, no, if you want to start a church, you have to play hymns on a piano and a pipe organ. But here's the problem. We surveyed 250 homes in Fair Oaks Ranch, went and knocked on doors. We'd ask people two questions. The first question was this, do you attend church anywhere in the area? And if they said yes, we said, that's great. We want to, continue, we want to encourage you to continue your participation in the church of your choice. If they said, no, I don't attend church anywhere in the area, we asked, could we do just a quick survey, ask you 12 questions. One of the questions on the survey was this, what kind of music do you listen to? Not a single person in the survey out of 250 told me that what I listen to is grand hymns of the faith played on a pipe organ. 
Not a single one. They said they listened to rock music. They listened to country music. They listened to jazz. And curiously, they listened to talk radio. Those are the four answers. So we said, if we want people who don't typically go to church to come to church, we might have to try a different style of music than most people anticipate when they come through the doors of a church. Another thing that we've been doing since day one, and people said, no, you can't do that, is we've been putting scripture passages on screens. Why? Because a lot of times the person that we most want to see come to Cibolo Creek, they don't have a Bible. And if they have one, they don't know where to find it. And if they know where to find it, they don't know where to turn in it. So when I say turn with me to the book of Romans, they're like, what the is Romans? And why would I bother turning to it? So we said, hey, tell you what, why don't we just put it on the screen so it doesn't become some kind of performance contest about who can find the book of Romans the fastest because what I want is them to hear the heartbeat of God in the book of Romans. These were just some of the ways that we decided to do it a little bit differently. Like laughter and fun. Let's have fun. Like Christians actually have the security of an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we live in the joy of knowing that we can be happy because we're safe in the ultimate way. And so here's, here's the point. Sybil Creek is a close-knit family of Christ followers doing whatever it takes doing whatever it takes, even if it feels like we're breaking a few rules and we're stepping outside the box, we'll do whatever it takes to introduce people to Jesus. And that takes courage. And that takes confidence in our calling. But you know what? 25 years now, I believe that it's worth every ounce of energy that we put into it. We gotta go. There's some things I wanted to share with you, but I'm gonna skip over that. I'll leave you with this. I talked to my financial planner the other day. It's not good. <laughs> I said, uh, how long till I can retire? He said, well, you probably got another good 10 years. And you know what? I have another good 10 years in me if you have me. I have another good 10 years in me to break some more rules. To be different if we need to be in order to introduce our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our moms, our dads, our sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles to Jesus Christ. So if you're with me, would you stand? That's what I thought. <laughs> Let's be like those four guys care enough to get involved to do whatever it takes to introduce people to Christ our father in heaven thank you for the story that you started for the work that you began thank you father for the confidence of faith to know that you will complete it in ways that we can't even imagine right now maybe these last 25 years has just been the groundwork for something that you're about to do in our midst, in our church and in our city and in our nation and maybe even around the world, that you're gonna use the story of Cibolo Creek Community Church in such a profound way because a group of people will be willing, courageous, 
to try some things differently. Tear a few holes in some roofs in the hope that we could introduce our friends to Jesus Christ in the faith that he could make all the difference in the world in their life. Write that story in us. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.